Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In the second sermon of the series, Pastor Rob explains why choosing behaviors and beliefs of your true home is key to navigating a post-Christian culture. Let's listen now. Let's pray together, but as, as we pray together today, let's begin with you praying silently, continuing to thank God for what He's done for you in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray silently together now. And Father, we do thank you for everything you do in us and through us, through Jesus Christ. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And knowing that we are saved by you, God, would you show us now how it is that we are to live? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we continue studying 1 Peter today, we're asking the question, what is the value of knowing your true home? It's one of the questions addressed in the classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress is a work in two parts written in the 1600s by John Bunyan. And part one of Pilgrim's Progress stars Christian. And Christian is on a journey, and the journey that Christian is on is an allegory for the Christian life. Now, this is one of the most famous works in the English language. In fact, more copies of Pilgrim's Progress have been printed than any other work in English except the Bible. This is important stuff for us to understand. Christian, in his journey, finds that it's important to know his destination. Because you see, at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian reads a book and discovers that everyone in the city he lives in, the city of destruction, is bound for judgment. He discovers that the only thing to do is to flee the city of destruction and go to the celestial city and there serve the king. Now, Christian decides to set out on this journey, but at first he doesn't know how to take this journey. And so one named Evangelist explains to Christian that there is a pathway from the city of destruction to the celestial city. It's a very thin, narrow, dangerous pathway. And to get to it, Evangelist says, you must go through the small wicket gate. Evangelist says, Christian, can you see the small wicket gate? Christian says, no, I I, I can't see it. And then Evangelist says to Christian, Well, on the horizon, there is a light. That light is the celestial city. Christian, can you see the light on the horizon? And Christian looks, and and he thinks he does. He thinks he sees on the horizon the light that is the celestial city. And Evangelist says, fix your gaze on that light and make your way toward that light destination. Christian sets out on his journey. 
It's critically important that Christian along the way knows his destination because, you see, he faces dangers all along the way. He faces the slough of despond. He faces vanity fair. He faces doubting castle. And all along the way, he's got companions that he encounters that are equally dangerous. He's got his negative neighbors. He's got the talking travelers. And, and he's got multitudes of monsters that he has to face. And so it's important that he knows and understands his destination. Because knowing his destination in the celestial city keeps him going keeps him focused, and it encourages him along the way. And that's important for us to understand because knowing our true home helps us to navigate a post-Christian world. We live in a post-Christian world, and by that we mean that at one time, our culture was shaped by Christian beliefs and behaviors and values. But that's no longer the case. We live in a world that is no longer shaped by Christian beliefs and behaviors. We live in a post-Christian world. Now, for Christians, living in a post-Christian world can be a very difficult experience. It's so different if you remember what it was like to live in a world that was shaped by Christian beliefs and behaviors. At times, it can be disorienting because everything has changed and everything is unfamiliar, and it can be difficult because in a post-Christian world, we frequently experience pressure to conform and to leave behind the beliefs and behaviors of our own Christian faith. And so when we watch Christian navigate the non-Christian dreamscape of the Pilgrim's Progress, we, we see the value in knowing home, knowing our destination, knowing the celestial city. And as we study 1 Peter, what we discover is that Peter, the apostle, is saying something very similar to us. As we navigate a non-Christian or a post-Christian world, it's very helpful to know our destination, our true home. And so as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and following today, we're going to find Peter suggesting to us three things that we can look at as steps that we can take to know and to live toward our true home. We begin in verse 13 with step one, which step one is to realize that we do have a true home. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, I'd like for you to take out your Bibles today. If you've got them digitally, that's great. If you've got them in paper, that's fine too. You're going to need these open because we're going to be referring back to this text over and over again. There's things I want you to see here, and it's not going to stay up on the screen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, we're going to see Peter talking about our true home. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at that, that verse, you'll find that the command is set your hope. But Peter begins with the word therefore. At the beginning of verse 13, you'll see right there, that's the word therefore. And he is referring back to what he's written in verses 1 through 12. And in verses 1 through 12, he has explained to us the gigantic nature of the good news. And he's saying now, therefore, 
because of the good news of Jesus. He's telling us that there are two things that should characterize our Christian journey. He says that we should have minds that are constantly ready for action, ready for work, and we should have minds that are clear. So having minds that are ready for work, having minds that are clear, he says, now set your hope. Set your hope. And he is focusing us now on the future, not on wishful thinking, but on something that is grounded firmly in the gigantic nature of the good news. Peter is pointing us forward. He's saying hope for something that you do not see, that you do not see. And he's telling us here in this verse that right now we do not see Jesus. Jesus is, in a sense, hidden from us. Jesus, who was among us, walking among us, died, rose again from the dead, was still walking among us, but ascended into heaven, and we now do not see him. He is, in that sense, hidden. And Peter says that Jesus, who is hidden, will one day again be revealed. He will come again. And Peter says that when Jesus is revealed, when he comes again, there is more grace that we will get. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you've already experienced grace. You've been forgiven of your sin. You have been adopted as a son or daughter of God. You've been given new life and new gifts for ministry through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've been given grace upon grace. But Peter says that when you see Jesus face to face, there is more grace that you will be given. You will be filled with the resurrection life, given eternal life, and being given life in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. Set your hope, he says, on that which is in the future. And what Peter is seeking to help us understand is that we have a true home, and we are going to have to choose what our true home is. You see, we could be at home in the kingdoms of the world, or we can be at home in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of this world is simply the world, the physical world around us. We can be at home in that, but it's stained by sin, it's fallen, it's broken. And it appears, at least, to be under the control of God's enemy, Satan. That's the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God, by contrast, is what God is doing in the world. If we are disciples of Jesus, we are already, in a sense, citizens of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within us and growing. But the kingdom of God will come in its fullness when Jesus returns. And so we have a choice to make. Will we be at home? Is our true home the kingdom of this world? Or is our true home the kingdom of God? We cannot be at home in both of these. And so we have to begin by realizing that we have a true home. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, is your true home. And you'll never be at peace. And you will never be at rest as long as you're in the kingdom of this world. And so we begin by asking, can we realize that? But beyond that, we have to accept that fact. And that leads us to step two, because in step two, we have to accept that the kingdom of this world is not our true home. Peter addresses this in verses 14 and following, where he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, 
since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So now Peter is telling us right here that there's a contest going on to see who and what is going to shape us. He says that in the beginning of our lives, we are shaped by the kingdoms of this world. He says, you have been conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You have been shaped by passions, things like lusts and unfulfillable hungers that we have in life. We started life shaped by those before we became disciples of Jesus. But Peter is going on to say, he says, but as he who called you is holy, but as he who called you is holy. Now what that means is that in conformity with the holiness of the one who has called you, in being shaped by and fitted to the one who has called us, and we discover, yes, we could be shaped instead by the one who has called us, by God. And he says, the one who has called you is holy. He cites a quote from the Old Testament, perhaps from Leviticus chapter 19, where we read that God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. In conformity with God who is holy, we can be shaped instead into God's holiness. So we're going to be conformed. We're going to be shaped either in conformity to the passions of the kingdoms of the world or in conformity with the holiness that comes from God and the kingdom of God. He says, you're going to have to choose. One is your home and one is not your home. Now, here's the thing. As we hear that we must leave this which started life as our home, it can lead to some grief and to some difficulty before us because we're being told to leave that thing behind. We're being told to leave behind the ways that we were born into. But here's the thing. Jesus makes it very clear to us. Peter makes it very clear to us that what we're leaving behind isn't good. He talks in verse 14 about that former ignorance that comes from passions. Look down in verse 18 where you'll see that there are futile ways that we have inherited from our forefathers. Now, as Peter writes, he doesn't tell us if he's writing to Gentiles or to Jews. But in a sense, it doesn't really matter because he's saying that the thing that you have inherited from your ancestors is a passion, a former ignorance, a a futile way that is not going to save you. Saying if you were a Gentile, if you were a pagan before you came to know Jesus, then the ways of your pagan ancestors can't save you. They can't get you a relationship with God and eternal life. It's not going to happen. But he's also saying, if you come from not the pagan ways of the Gentiles, but instead from the legalistic ways of the Jews, you cannot, by that pathway, earn your way into God's favor either. There is no way, aside from Jesus Christ, to get into God's presence and to gain eternal life. And though he's saying, the ways of your ancestors are futile, And he's not just speaking to the people of the first century now. He's speaking to us 
Because as we look back at our history, we say we come from a culture that has been shaped by Christian faith, by Christian beliefs and behaviors. And Peter would say to us, don't put your faith in that because the fact that you have a Christian history is not what is going to save you. There's one and only one thing that can save you, and that is faith in Jesus Christ here and now. And so while it may involve some grief to say that the ways of my ancestors can't save me, Peter goes on to say, understand that something of amazing value has happened in your life. It's okay to let go of that because of the value of what God has done. God has ransomed you, he says, in Jesus Christ. He says that a price has been paid. You have been ransomed away from that old life. And he says it's not through something perishable like silver or gold. And in some ways, he's referring to Jesus being like the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. But he's making another reference here through silver and gold. When he says you were ransomed, not with perishable things like silver and gold, he's talking about a custom in the first century Roman world. You see, in the first century Roman world, people held slaves. And if a slaveholder wanted to set a slave free, here's how it happened. The slaveholder owned, in a sense, the slave. So there was a transaction. The slave would take a bag of silver or gold to one of the local temples of a Roman god, and the temple officials would receive that price. And then they would give that price, that silver or gold, the value of the slave to the slaveholder. And then in the eyes of everyone, including the slave, they were now free in terms of society. But now they belonged to that Roman god or goddess. And Peter is saying a similar transaction has happened over you. You were enslaved to the kingdom of this world, and Jesus has ransomed you, and now you belong to the kingdom of God. And when we understand that we have been ransomed at great price by Jesus Christ into the kingdom of God, then it becomes a whole lot easier to leave behind the ways of the kingdom of this world. Realize that the kingdom of this world was your home, but is no longer your home. And that's why we as Christ followers do not feel comfortable and at home in a post-Christian world. We weren't made to feel comfortable and at home in a post-Christian world. The, the world around us is not shaped by the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God. We've been told things like greed is good. That's not true. We have been told that, that perversity is an appropriate form of human intimacy. Just because you say it over and over again doesn't make it true. It's not true. In 2015, in the Supreme Court decision Obergefell versus Hodges, the Supreme Court of the United States made the law of the land that same-sex marriages are legal and, and a right and must be recognized. Now, that decision caps decades of changes in our society's standards on human intimacy, and it caps years of advocacy on this cause in particular. It's a very postmodern 
type of decision, though, in that it takes a word that has had a meaning for thousands of years, marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman that is designed to last for a lifetime. That's the definition of marriage. And it says, we're going to just change the definition of marriage. And the definition is now what we want it to be. It's a contract between any two or more people for as long as those people want it to be. In just a postmodern way, we just redefine a word. And it is post-Christian in the sense that it is not shaped by the will of God, but by the will of a few people. This world is a disorienting place for us to live. Our children come home from school spouting all kinds of things that they've been told are true, that we know are not true and not in keeping with the Word of God, and we struggle to help our children deal with the things that they're hearing. We go to work, and we are told that we will enforce and act on policies and procedures that we don't believe are true or based on the Word of God. Of course, the world around us is a disorienting place as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of the Lord. This world is not our home. We have to accept that the world really, truly is not our home. That's step two. Step three that Peter suggests is that in addition to realizing that this world is, is not our true home, Peter tells us to choose the beliefs and behaviors instead of the kingdom of God, our true home. That's step three. And he tells us that it really, it's an answer to the question, okay, so if that is the case, what must I do now? And he answers that in verses 20 through 25, where he says, he, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Look at that. Remember that. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. So now, we are told by Peter that our beliefs and behaviors come from a new source. Back if you look at verse 14 and verse 18, we have been disattached from our former ignorance and from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. And Peter says, instead, look down at verse 21, we have been attached to faith and hope in God. We've been disattached from the kingdoms of the world and attached to the kingdom of God. Because we have been attached to the kingdom of God, we're being filled with the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And that resurrection life is now shaping us. And the resurrection life of Jesus Christ is filling us with faith, faithfulness, and hope, resolute hope. And so there's now a new source of our beliefs and behaviors. 
He goes on to say that there is not only a new source, but there's a new standard for our behavior as well. He says the new standard for your, for your behavior as, as believers in God is to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see, as he begins verse 22, what Peter is telling us is that our ability to love one another says something about the condition of our relationship with God. The way that we are able to or not able to love one another talks about what God has done in us, and it talks about the choices that we have made as a result of what God has done in us. But loving one another becomes the new standard of the kingdom of God. And we're able to live, begin to live at least, according to that new standard because of the new birth that's happened inside of us. Peter says, when you were born in the first place, you were born in the world, you were born according to ignorance and futility, you were born in a way that, that, that is perishing and fading. But he says, something new has happened in you. You have had a new seed planted in you. That seed is the Word of God. And the seed that has been planted in you is not like the seed from which you were born. The seed that's been planted in you is not perishing or fading. The seed of the Word of God that has been planted in you is imperishable and powerful. It is the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And as it is planted in you, it takes root and it begins to grow. And what grows up inside of you is a new birth a new way of living through Jesus Christ. Choose the beliefs and the behaviors of this new way of life that is growing up inside of you. So what does it look like to choose the beliefs and the behaviors of our true home, the kingdom of God? You might think that it needs to be big things, and if it is for you big things, good. Good for you. It should be. Go do big things. But sometimes to choose the beliefs and behaviors of the kingdom of God, our true home, it's a very small thing. I can't help but think about the friendship community right here at Valley. The friendship community meets on Thursday nights, and it is a gathering of people with diverse and different abilities along with their family members. They get together on Thursday evenings. This past Thursday evening, I think they got together and they made hamburgers. It's, it's led by Mary Swank and Rebecca Wilhite. It meets right over here in our fellowship hall. And when you see somebody bring together people with diverse abilities and their families, people who are often ignored and trampled on in society, and you find us bringing them together, introducing them to one another, loving them in the name of Jesus Christ, demonstrating that they are of value and sharing our faith in Jesus Christ with them, that is what the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God look like. Let's choose the beliefs and the behaviors of our true home in the kingdom of God. Knowing our true home helps us to navigate a post-Christian world. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, really helps us to understand what it looks like to know our true home. You see, Bunyan lived in the 1600s, and the Forces of parliament and democracy and Puritans and those seeking to purify the Church of England engaged in a war, a civil war against the king. 
They wanted freedom and they wanted purity in the church. John Bunyan was actually drafted in the army of parliament. He served in the army of parliament and and he met Christians. And he became a Christian in the process. And he became a man of strong Baptistic convictions. But when the parliamentary uprising and revolution began to fail, and it did, the people longed for a king once again. And so they brought in Charles II to be their new king. And Charles II came back and he loved the established Church of England and high church worship. And Charles set about to oppress, to to restrict Puritans, Baptists, and any separatists from the Church of England. And John Bunyan lived in a time where his vision of Christian faith was so very difficult to live out, it felt as if he was living in a completely non-Christian kind of world. He understood what it was to know his true home. You see, John Bunyan recognized where his true home was. John Bunyan was arrested, and he spent 12 years in jail. But in jail... He knew where his true home was, and he kept working. Actually, in jail, in order to support his wife and kids, he made leather shoelaces. John Bunyan made hundreds of pairs of leather shoelaces to support his family. But in addition to that, he had some limited freedom. And so in jail, in jail, he would receive visitors and write letters and teach. And in jail, he wrote nine books, including The Pilgrim's Progress, advocating for Christian faith. John Bunyan knew his true home, and he refused to give up faith and hope. Bunyan knew, too, that the kingdoms of this world are not his true home. You see, he was arrested, and when he was tried, he was sentenced to perpetual banishment, a punishment that was never enacted. But he knew at any point he could be sent away from his homeland and be separated from his family for the rest of his life. And that weighed on him. It particularly weighed on him because one of his daughters was blind. And it was constantly present to Bunyan that if he were separated from his family, his blind daughter would live as a blind person in that society as an orphan for the rest of her life. It weighed on him. But he knew that the kingdoms of this world were not his true home. He recognized that at any point he could recant his Christian faith. All he had to do was commit to stop teaching, stop preaching, and stop writing, and the jailers would have let him go. He could have been let go at any time. He could have taken care of his daughter, and the penalty would be gone. But he knew this world was not his true home. He refused to recant, and he kept going anyway. Bunyan chose the beliefs and the behaviors of his true home, the eternal kingdom of God. You see, as the struggle continued, many of his colleagues began to advocate another violent revolution against the government. John Bunyan sat in prison, and he studied his Bible, and he prayed, 
and he prayed for a king who would never change his mind about Bunyan. And he looked at a society that he was convinced was only getting worse and a future that he believed was falling apart. But he held to his convictions. He refused to embrace the violent overthrow of his government. And he embraced the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God, his eternal, true home. Knowing our true home helps us to navigate the post-Christian world. We know that we have a true home, and our attention is fixed on it. We know the world around us, kingdoms of this world, it's not our true home. We choose the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God consistently. Now, that's all just a beginning. It's just a beginning, but it's a start. We know now that we live in this world with hope that is grounded in the gigantic nature of the good news, and we know that we have a true home in the kingdom of God and that we are making our way to it. And now, as we navigate the post-Christian world, let's fix our eyes resolutely on the celestial city and with clarity, consistency, let's make our way through life toward it. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.